The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 192. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart, Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hey, I'm Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the 10th Doctor, the 11th Doctor story, <laughs> Hungry Earth. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Oh, boy, Chris Chibnall. <laughs> <laughs> and Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, if you have not yet done so, I don't know why, but you should immediately subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. We give you all the options. Wherever there are podcasts to be found, you will find us. Uh, so this is a two-parter, The Hungry Earth and uh, In Cold Blood, no, just Cold Blood, uh, that we will... <laughs> be talking about this week and next week. So we'll cover it yep. uh, in subsequent weeks and won't make you wait. And it originally aired in May 2010. And it's the Doctor, Rory, and Amy. And it involves the Silurians, which is their first time back on Doctor Who since 1984, Warriors of the Deep. Yep. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the Silurians here, of course, are a little different than the ones we've seen before. Well, and we should also mention that this is set this year. 2020. Yeah. So if 2020 wasn't bad enough, we also have to worry about the Silurians. <laughs> well, as you and I were saying last night uh, in our Slack channel, uh, maybe this the uh, Silurians released the virus in China because the Chinese are the ones who discovered them. That yeah. was that was their original plan. And when they first <laughs> showed up in the third Doctor's time, they were engineering a plague to wipe out humanity so they could take over the surface of the Earth again. I guess they're back to the original plan. Worst plague ever if it could be yeah. stopped by masks. We have a plague. We have murder hornets. We have uh, land oh. sharks. And now baboons and, uh, with knives and chainsaws. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Those are all <laughs> real I, things, I, folks. All real. Not kidding about the last. Yes, no. yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's talk about the this one here. So the uh, it starts off, like it says, in uh, 2020. So 10 years in Amy and Rory's future, basically. and it's. In the village of a bunch of unpronounceable whales. whales village. <laughs> the whales village. I don't even want to attempt to say this. Uh, I asked Melanie, who's barely better at, at Celtic languages than I am, and she's kind of passed on it. So it's something Taff Wales. And it's, like you said, Jimmy, it's written by Chris Chibnall, who is now the showrunner with the 13th Doctor, who has mostly, most of his episodes he wrote previously were not great episodes of Dr. No. So I want to say a couple things about that. One of them is this two-parter was better than I remembered it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it, it wasn't as, it wasn't as meh as I remembered. I, it, 
I hadn't seen it in years, and so it was interesting to watch it again. Also, I think I I I don't know exactly to what to attribute the difference, but I enjoyed this a lot more than I've enjoyed recent Doctor Who. Hmm. Yeah, with the exception of I mean, I like the timeless child thing. I like that they've you know mm-hmm. brought all of that into the canon. So I want to give Chibnall his props, but in terms of the stories, this is more interesting than a lot of not everything, but a lot of what Chibnall's era Doctor Who is like. And I think part of that may it has to go to Stephen Moffat as the showrunner mm. um because he had Chibnall on a leash. So even though you can right. see some of Chibnall's tendencies in this, like the anti-weapons thing is in this for example, it, yeah. it we don't get the speechifying that right. we would later. And also I know for a fact that as you would expect as the showrunner Stephen Moffat did make modifications to Chibnall's yeah. scripts. Right. So part of that may go to Stephen Moffat. Also, the characters, which were created by Stephen Moffat, are more interesting. Mm. I like the 11th Doctor better than I like the 13th Doctor. He's more mm. interesting. Even though he is, like, ditzy and, and socially awkward, Matt Smith is just more interesting than, than Jodie Whittaker right. as the Doctor. Also, Amy and Rory. You know, at the mm-hmm. it, I, I care about them more than I care about Yaz, Ryan, and Graham. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, as much as I like Graham, Amy and Rory have this intense personal dynamic that's going on yeah. between them. I mean, they're, they're in this, uh, you know, marriage story arc, and we're having developments hitting every episode. With right. that, they're not they're not letting this relationship coast. There's a new phase of their relationship every single episode, and this is all just much more interesting to me. And we'll get to the big <laughs> development in in their relationship yeah. here, which is I think the I think probably the the smartest thing that Moffat does mm-hmm. with companions with is what he does with Rory's development, starting with this episode. And in the future, because it really elevates the, that character to yeah. a whole nother yeah. level. What I'm a lot less interested in is the whole Silurian thing. You know, that's the mm-hmm. weakest part of it is the actual story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least the adventure setting for me. I also, I want to, there's the one lady, um, I want to say her, no, 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 not Ambrose, uh, Najada. N- Nezreen. Ne- Nezreen. She is she is awesome. I yes. love her. She has clear companion material. Yeah, I've got it here in my notes, Nazarene. She has clear companion potential and functions as a one-off companion in the course of this episode. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to see more with her. She is awesome. So that's right. a character created by Chris Chibnall who I actually do like. And, you know, that, that, that's all when we talk next week about Cold Blood, the, at the end of it, there's I want to kind of connect into that because I, yeah. I think there's potential future storyline based off so yeah but anyway that that we'll talk about that next week you know i i agree i i like this i liked it back then and i like this now this may be mm-hmm. i think it might be my favorite uh chibnall pre you know pre 13th doctor story you know in in the stephen moffat era i really I enjoyed this one especially how it ends which may not be chibnall's <laughs> given that it affects the the whole arc <laughs> of the series that might not have been uh, chibnall's uh, point I really like think one of the gems of this is actually the actress who plays Alea in Restack, who then will come yep. back as Madame Vestra. And I think yes. this is the best part of 
this of Chibnall's Silurian adventure here is that we end up with Madame Vestra eventually, which I really I think is a, a really interesting character, a Victorian Sherlock Holmesian female of Silurian, <laughs> which mm-hmm. with a a sidekick who's a um oh the potato head man um oh um Strax uh, Strax Suntaran Suntaran yes uh escaped me for a moment but I I I think that's clever and of course Big Finish has done a whole thing with with that little crew uh so I think that's one of the best things to come out of this episode frankly a, apart from mm-hmm. uh, the Amy Rory stuff uh so let's let's dive into this episode no pun intended and uh, mm-hmm. we start with a dad uh named uh, Mo who's teaching his son to read there. So in this little village where it looks pretty abandoned, frankly. And I like this moment with the dad and the son and the reading because honestly, this is a, a it strikes close to home for me. I have a, a son who has trouble reading. So it struck closer to home for me because this, the kid uh, whose name Elliot. is Elliot. Yeah. Just like in uh, E.T. E.T. Yes. yes. He, he's, he's got dyslexia. Uh-huh. And I've got dyslexia too, and so you know I immediately identified with the kid. The dad is really great. It's a really mm-hmm. nice scene. Mm-hmm. They're very likable characters. One of the things I liked with the with uh, Elliot and his dyslexia is he copes with the dyslexia in some similar ways that I did. Mm-hmm. Now I didn't have audiobooks at the time. But I did have kind of audiobooks. There was a machine that they had that they put me on. This is back in the 70s, called a Reader Hoffman, which had like a film strip that would advance and play a record. And it would have hmm. the words of the story on the screen and on the record. So it was like an yep. audiobook reading along with a print book. Hmm. And, that, and that was what they used to help me learn how to read. And even though I still have some of the effects of dyslexia, I, which is one of the reasons, even to this day, I prefer reading on a screen. If I'm Mm -hmm. going to read it all, I mean, I I prefer audio. If I can't get audio, I want to read on a screen because I can control, and this is common among dyslexic, I can control the lighting on a Mm -hmm. screen in a way I can't on a printed page, and it makes it much easier. But Elliot is doing the audiobook thing because he's in 2020, and that was actually a little advanced for 2010. Mm-hmm. Audiobooks yeah. weren't as common then as they are now. Yeah. He also draws, and I did the same thing. In fact, I went to the Arkansas Governor's School, in, uh, which was a school for gifted and talented high school juniors, in fine arts mm. because I drew. And so, um, so I, I liked the presentation of dyslexia in this episode, it was realistic. And Elliot's at a stage where he hasn't yet gotten over the hump in terms of reading, but mm-hmm. it uh, it was it was nicely done. And I don't know if Chibnall knows someone who's dyslexic or if he did his research, but either way, it, it that yeah. worked for me. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the thing that really got me was this, this kid is about my son's age, and my son mm-hmm. listens to lots of audiobooks on its old iPhone that I've repurposed for him that <laughs> plays Audible. We get Audible books and and yeah. we ch- check out books from the library. And so it just felt so real. It felt so personal. Uh, and I just I love it. And so that that was that was really cool. And as I seldom tire of saying, yes, Jimmy Aiken has a learning <laughs> disability. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and going back to the dad, I, you know, I, I really like the way the dad was portrayed because. 
you know, even, you know, 10 years ago when this show aired, dads were played as the Homer Simpson bumbling fool. Yeah. You know, who were, were distant to their children. And, you know, it's, it's been that way for a long time. And it's, it's, it's so refreshing when you see a dad who is a dad. Yeah. You know, confident. He's actually yes. you know, confident. He's in his kid's life. He wants to see his kids succeed. He's not a bumbling fool. He's not made the butt of the joke. He's, yes. he's a good dad. You in, know, in, and that, that's, that's something we need more of in media. And in fact, to give Chibnall props on something else, he subverts a common trope, not just with the dad, but with mm-hmm. the mom. Yeah. Because yep. as we're going to, by the end of the two-parter, we're going to know things about the mom and what she has done that are like, wow, you would not <laughs> expect that. If anything, you would expect exactly the reverse. You would expect the husband to do those things, not the mom. Yep. And here we have it in a very yep. unusual configuration. So uh, dad's on his way to work. He works at a deep drilling rig. They've that has reached 21 kilometers deep, which is deeper than anyone has ever drilled before. Since Inferno. Uh, since Inferno, <laughs> 30, I know. Which was 32 I, kilometers deep. Yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to know, um, I, Father Corey, how you reacted to this episode, because this has tons. Of, I know the third doctor is your favorite, John Pertwee. Yep. And this has just third doctor stuff all over it. Oh, yeah. As soon as they said, yeah, it's 21 kilometers deep. That's the deepest we've ever gone. I'm sitting there going, wait a second. Okay. And so we go on the Tars Wiki. How far did Inferno go? Oh, yeah. Inferno was 20 miles, which is 32 kilometers. Yeah. I mean, so right away, it's like, okay. <laughs> it, so my headcanon is, well, Inferno's still, you know, unit top secret, so they don't know about it. But yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but we've got like Inferno, we've got the drilling, we've got yep. gas pockets under the earth, yep. we've got the Silurians, we have just all kinds of third doctory things happening oh yes yeah. you know, I, I, I you know i know you mentioned jimmy that you're kind of meh on the solarians i i enjoyed that i actually mm-hmm. kind of enjoyed it a little bit because it does tie back to the third doctor and all those connections so yeah they do make a, that explicit reference at some at one point too to the yeah to well, I, we met other other yeah, yeah other tribes yeah yeah so mo works the night shift and uh so he's he's there at night when everything starts shaking for a minute and doesn't know why and then all the security cameras go out and so he goes to investigate, which, you know, you know, is always a bad thing <laughs> when, yep. when the guy working the night shift goes to investigate <laughs> why the cameras went out. Uh, he finds a smoking hole in the floor of a storage room and, um, again, does that thing you're not supposed to do, which is he reaches in to the hole, which is it's sort of like quicksand. Uh, so he's reaching through d- mud or dirt and finds a void underneath. And then something grabs him and pulls him in. And that's where we uh, end this part with Mo. And then we we go to the next part, and apparently the next day, it's daytime, the TARDIS has arrived, and the Doctor and Amy and Rory come out, and apparently they were aiming for Rio, they were headed to Rio for vacation, and ended up in Wales, and Amy keeps saying throughout the episode, I was dressed for Rio! Because <laughs> she's got these short happens. shorts on. Yes. I, I hate that when it happens, you know, you're planning to go into a sunny beach, and you end up in a graveyard in, <laughs> in Wales, in dreary, cold area. <laughs> right. She's got, so she's got on, I guess it's a mini skirt. It's like a really yeah. mini, mini skirt. Yeah. And it does come back like later on in, uh, I think in part two, we have a scene where a scientist who's 
Silurian is saying, hmm, the female's cold resistance seems to be greater than the male's. I was yeah. dressed for Rio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. but she does have like this leather jacket top on that it's yeah. like, that's not really Rio beachwear. Uh, it's fashion. Fashion. Yeah. <laughs> so the doctor but immediately- noti- notice, notice we have a TARDIS miss, which is, you know, a recurring yes. trope on Doctor Who, that especially in the early days, there were misses all the time. That was the norm. It's not so right. much the norm now. Yeah. The TARDIS does tend to take them where he needs to go, and that's sort of the... Yeah, they, 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 that, they kind of explain that away. Uh, Moffat explained that way with the uh, Doctor's Wife, the episode Doctor's Wife, where he... Right. The TARDIS becomes personified, and it's like, and she says, well, I may not have taken you where you wanted to go, but I've always taken you where you needed to go. Right, right. So the doctor immediately notices that the ground feels strange. He also notices patches of bluegrass everywhere. So just automatically, you want to whip out a banjo and start yeah. doing. Yeah. Where's the Where's the bourbon and rye? You know, um, so they they look across the valley, uh, see two people waving. The doctor says, "It's you, ten years in your future." And I'm thinking, could that be <laughs> spoilers for yeah. future? Uh, season of Doctor Who, but uh, yes, uh, yeah, apparently there spoilers. Were... But ten, ten years in the future for Amy and Rory is it twenty twenty? We'll just put it right. that way. Well, they do. They do well, kind of the, explain it where the Doctor will later say this is not a fixed point in time. Right. So also, though, the, Amy and Rory traveled with the Doctor for more than ten years, so this could be a point with with them mm-hmm. while they're still traveling with the Doctor before. Yeah. They nope. end up where they end up. That's true. That's true. That's... So the doctor then uh, sees the mining rig uh, down the down the valley, and he wants to go take a look, which does not sound like a great idea to Amy, but, uh, you know, a, a mining rig. I have to go investigate. Rory, before they run off, Rory stops Amy because he doesn't want her to wear her engagement ring while they're running around in, in danger. doesn't want to lose it. Eh, uh, I thought <laughs> this was not very plausible. If it's properly fitted, it's not going to matter. Yes. I and mean, you're... Frank- you're it was he, he they don't know they're going to be running around at this point he just yeah it, it, well, it, it is the it, doctor <laughs> well yeah. yeah but you know they they wanted a weak excuse for companion separation yep, and that's yep. and to get the ring off her finger so that we can have that moment at the end so yep. he does take it back to the tardis uh so then we have at the drilling rig we have this older guy in charge uh tony tony who who's uh mo's father-in-law and uh, the woman, Nazreen, sort of his partner in this uh, operation here, they're in the room where Mo disappeared investigating. Like, where did he go? And there's this weird, you know, situation here. So we have that. And then we have Rory coming out of the TARDIS and runs into Ambrose, who is the wife mm-hmm. of M- the missing man, Mo and Elliot. Uh, and Ambrose has apparently called the police. The, the mother of Elliot. Yes, Elliot's mother, uh, Mo's uh, wife, and she's called the police because of because uh, Mo's missing and thinks that it's a police box. Therefore, this must be the policeman, uh, Rory. And uh, she so- assumes it's the TARDIS is like a mobile crime lab because it's even further in the future. She doesn't know what a police box is, right? <laughs> right. And it just says police on it. And then she assumes that Rory is some kind of plain plain clothesman. Right, I, I and I misspoke. She, they didn't call him because Mo's missing. They don't know he's missing yet. They called him. She takes him to the family grave plot that's been unearthed, and she mm-hmm. says, "When we went to bury our relative, whose plot this is, 
we found that the relative who was already buried here was missing, and there was the ground was not disturbed. It had to have been taken from below, which is kind of weird, creepy, and open-ended. Like, we never actually find out why. Yeah, we never happened. get closure on that. No. Yeah, so it, it's just sort of an excuse to have uh, Rory separated. Um, he per- So the doctor now pretends to be an inspector with the Ministry of Mining and something or other, um, and tries to get Nazreen and Tony to leave so he can investigate with Amy. But the earth starts shaking, the floor starts collapsing, uh, Tony falls in a hole, and Amy stops to help him, and then Amy falls in, and something drags her underneath. Um, they, they stop the drill, and this all started when they started the drill up again, and they stopped the drill, but she's still dragged under, and she tries to t- say, as the doctor's like, I'm not going to let you go, I'm not going to let you go, and she tries to say, as she's being dragged under, tell Rory, and then she can't finish because she goes under. Mm-hmm. So it's a very uh, traumatic moment. And in the context, it the presumed ending to that sentence is tell Rory I love him. Right. Because she's afraid she's about to die. And this is actually yes. a pretty effective scene. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, very, very well done. Uh, meanwhile, Rory's still investigating the empty grave uh, with the boy, Elliot, who posits that something ate the body from underneath because he's a you know 11-year-old boy or something. Uh, <laughs> and, and then quotes, whenever you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Uh, so he evidently is also a fan of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, and he calls out Sherlock Holmes by name when uh, yep. when Rory doesn't recognize it, and he he like alludes to his audiobook headphones, and it's like, yes, I do the same thing. I've got the complete adventures of Sherlock Holmes on audiobooks, and I have Alexa read it to me at night. I've heard it many times. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so uh, the uh, the doctor then says uh, that this hole that Amy was sucked into is not quicksand; that something pulled her under. He says the ground was bioprogrammed, which is technology not available on Earth in 2020, uh, which is true. Still not able to bioprogram the, the ground. Uh, so they're right on it's there. It's bas- basically like nanotechnology. Yes. Yep. It's programmable matter. Then he notes that uh, even though the drill is shut down, why does he still hear drilling underground? Mm-hmm. Nazreen now reveals the reason that they're drilling in this valley is because the blue grass is an indication of minerals not seen in this country for 20 million years. So something is feeding the grass uh, minerals suddenly. So something is underground. It's also an indication of Kentucky. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, He then detects that whatever bioprogrammed the ground is now transporting up through tunnels that uh, he's detected underground because he's sonicked their equipment to, you know, be magic. And... uh, (laughs) Uh, outside, they see that an energy shield is now covering the town, the little abandoned town. There's only five of them left. All the workers have have gone. Uh, so there's only a handful of them left. And there's now this energy shield trapping them inside. So they are now under the dome, if anybody saw that terrible <laughs> Stephen King-based series. <laughs> <laughs> with with the guy named Barbara. So uh, <laughs> I only I watched the first season and then gave up after that. So uh, oh, you, very you dim up, memories you, of it. You did not waste your time. <laughs> by <watching the> second <laughs> season. Uh, so uh, Rory at first does not ask the when he encounters the doctor. He does not ask the important question: Where is Amy? Uh, but mm. eventually he gets around to that. And when the doctor says he'll get her back, Rory sort of roars at him. You should have tried harder to save her. Like Rory really. Gives it to yeah. the doctor because he's been afraid this whole time that a- Amy's penchant for running off with the doctor into adventure is going to get her hurt or killed. 
And, and this is it's, it's interesting. The doctor and later Rory, but the doctor in this episode is making all kinds of promises of yes. safety to people that it's like, I wouldn't be making these promises if I were you, dude. Um, <laughs> but here he makes one to Rory where Rory confronts him about Amy having been taken. Uh, I mean, the doctor says she's been taken and Rory's like, what? Under the earth. She's been taken under the earth. And Rory lashes out at him, and the doctor says, I'll keep you all safe, I promise. Right. And that's not going to happen. Nope. <laughs> exactly. Right. Not a promise he can keep. So they uh, they all go to hide in the church, which is an old stone church, which is an interesting it, idea. It's an yep. old Doctor Who trope, too. This is like the fifth time we've had characters hide from danger in churches, including instances in New Who, where, mm -hmm. like in Father's Day. When the yeah. the time reavers attack, they hide in a church, and it's. I find it interesting. I don't know exactly why the writers keep doing this, but taking shelter in a church is a recurring theme on mm -hmm. Doctor Who. Well, it's it's a it's an old old trope. I mean, it goes way back. Well, you know, the idea that holy holy sanctuary. land sanctuary yeah. in the church. You know, and it and it, it's it's something that's recognizable, especially in England, where they still have a lot of these you know beautiful old stone churches lurking around it's something that's very recognizable as sanctuary i wonder if they if they're implying that because the church is probably is big enough stone it'd be hard for anything to get in from underneath uh, well in this, in this storyline for sure this storyline yeah. it's like you can't because it, they're, they're changing the dirt the earth the, right. the stone it will protect them you know it's not like concrete where they can just break it through it though yeah. they don't spell any of that out in this episode no and the church is built on a rock right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peter is a rock. Yeah, it was a, it was an Anglican church. It doesn't. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Never mind. So, so <laughs> well, then we it may have a... originally been Catholic. It could. It's hundreds yeah. of years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so that we get a shot of something scanning an unconscious Amy, you know, under the earth, uh, very quickly. Uh, then we get them. They show up at the church, and Ambrose now is finally the one who asks the important question, which is, "Where's Mo?" And Elliot, in, in you know, they they reveal that he's been taken too. Elliot asks the doctor if if he'll be able to get his dad back, and the doctor pauses, and then he makes yet another promise. Yes, I will definitely get him back. So, more promises. They they manage to find enough remote transmitting cameras and motion sensors uh, in this abandoned village to blanket the village with these things that somehow are transmitting data to... <laughs> Never mind. And, and, well, and this is, you know, this is not unreasonable. I mean, we have... To, uh, for 2020, now, this was looking forward. Yep. Mm -hmm. But now that it's 2020, I mean, you know, it's very common for people to have networked cams in their homes and outside their homes and yeah. on their doorbells and lights and, yeah. that I mean, the doctor mentions motion sensitive lights. And, you know, I have I have networked cameras and I have I have motion sensitive lights and that's actually normal these days. And, and while the while the village itself is abandoned, it, it's part of a major project you know you can yeah. imagine there's a major corporation behind this drilling project which means they're going to have the resources to have things like you know ring yeah. doorbells and nest cameras and stuff like yeah. that i guess i'm just reacting to the camcorder the very old camcorders which is what they would have had in 2010 so that's fine mm -hmm. yeah you're right you're right that's uh uh, but it, they, it, it, and I agree, I agree, Jimmy. It's actually they're very forward thinking on a lot of this <laughs> kind of stuff. You look back. That's true. That's I mean, true. Yep. Uh, so they're gathering together supplies. Ambrose shows up with an arm full of weapons, including a taser, a bat, and a shotgun. Uh, and the doctor tells her that's not how I do things. 
there's a when she says they need to defend themselves. No big speech, which is nice. No, but he's he says it nicely, but in an ominous way to put them away. You know, what I mean, there's like yeah. that he'll brook no argument from her. You put those away now. So it's it, it there's there is a very uh, mm-hmm. there's a tinge uh, uh, in his tone. So uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but you're right. There was no speechifying here about you know gu- oh guns are evil. Uh, or bats, I suppose. <laughs> or sledgehammer. She's got a sledgehammer in there. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. We have a nice interaction with the doctor interacting with uh, Elliot about his dyslexia. I thought that was a, a, a nice little moment where uh, Elliot says, I can't write the, the locations down. He says, well, can you draw? Draw me, a, draw me a map. Draw me a picture of where all the cameras and sensors are, which was a nice moment. He encourages him by saying that Einstein and Da Vinci were also dyslexic. Uh, is that true? I don't know. I have never looked it I, up. I wonder if it's just a doctor thing, uh, you know, a doctor fact, quote unquote. I know that Einstein did was developmentally delayed in a few respects, but I don't know if it was dyslexia. So Elliot then asks the doctor if he's afraid of monsters, and the doctor says, monsters are afraid of me. So that's <laughs> a little funny bit there. Uh, the, sh- the shield then turns black as the three signals that have been coming up from the underground arrive which cuts off all light, makes it seem like middle of the night there. Just um, to have us running around in the darkness to make up the drama. Yes. Yep. Uh, Rory was outside. He's trying to come back. Uh, when the door to the church won't open, well, actually, they're all trying to get into the church. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And the door the door to the church sticks. And Rory, when Rory says the Sonic's not working on wood is rubbish, the doctor says, don't diss the Sonic. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. Is famously, the Sonic does not work on wood. Call, which was first established in Silence in the Library. That's right. Elliot uh, isn't with them, and well, the doctor realizes they left him outside. And so now Elliot is being chased through the graveyard by these shadowy figures, which is really creepy. He gets to the door, but it's stuck, and then he's taken by the Silorian. He's taken away. Ambrose runs out when they finally get the door open looking for him, and she's attacked by the Silorian, and when Tony defends her, the Silorian uses its tongue to stab him in the neck and we'll find out poison him. And this is like a really super extra grande tongue. So yes, it's yeah. like, you know, 20 feet long or something. Yes, that thing rolls up uh, somewhere. The uh, Now the doctor uh, gets out his night vision sunglasses, which uh, must be the same ones that the, the 12th doctor has. Well, I wondered about that because there's no setup on these. And I thought, because we've never seen him before or since, I thought that the sunglasses he puts on, which let him see in like thermal imaging or something at, mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. night now that it's all dark, that I thought this was meant to be, this is a 20, 2020 invention, that it's just oh. it's like the security cams and everything else that would be high tech from a 2010 perspective. Ten years from now, we'll have thermal sunglasses you can use at night or something. Well, and I wonder if, I wonder if this is where... Moffat got the idea to add the sonic sonic shades for 12. Mm. I just think, uh, I hope Apple's glasses will have night vision in them, because that would be really cool <laughs> when they eventually come out with us. <laughs> so uh, they do capture one of the Solarians with a fire, fire extinguisher and a Meals on Wheels refrigerator van, because the doctor has figured out that it's a, uh, a cold-blooded species. And so now both sides have hostages. Amy wakes up in a canister of some kind, and uh, as she... Gets a little freaked out. She is gassed back asleep. And then underneath the scary reptilian mask, which is, I thought was effective. I thought it was a really effective mm-hmm. way of 
making the Silurians scary until we need to see them as more human-like and more... Mm-hmm. What's the word I'm looking for? More... Relatable. Relate. Thank you. Relatable. They have this mask. And so we unmask the Silurian. She has a human face. Also, it's a nice bridge to former Silurian designs. Mm. Yes. Right. The, orig- the original and the, the, the old classic who Silurians were looked very different and less human. Yeah, this, these new ones have very human faces by comparison, and this is a nice way to explain, oh, those ones we saw before, they were wearing military masks. Right. Uh, she reveals her tribe has been asleep for 300 million years. They detected the drill as an attack. They thought it was an attack. And so the warriors were activated to attack back. Her name is Alea, and she says, this land is ours. We lived here long before the apes. And the doctor says, that doesn't give you automatic rights to it now. I'm afraid humans won't give up the planet. But that was interesting, the uh, the idea that just because you used to own the land doesn't mean you have automatic rights to it now. I'm not sure that would be how a, the same story would be written in 2020. Well, it, it is kind of interesting, again, because that is an argument that people make, that there's certain yeah. land that has been conquered and it should be returned to its original owners. Right. Well, then you're going to have to... You find people who know who are no longer identifiable because yeah. ultimately land has changed no matter where you are in the world. Yes. Land has changed and, hands so many times that right. it's impossible to identify the original owners. And let, let's be honest, land ownership as we understand it today is a relatively new concept in the history of humanity. You know, <laughs> yeah, and there yes. you know, many, many peoples have lived on lands and have never thought of themselves as the owners of the land until re- right. relatively recently. So the uh, the doctor now tries to explain to the humans that the Silurians are not aliens, despite their initial impression. Tony now wants to spend time with this hostage, this prisoner, finding Silurian weak points, which is an interesting project like so you immediately jump to torture uh mm-hmm. but the do- doctor says no she's our bargaining chip and and he says nobody dies today which is an interesting again a promise will he be able to keep yes so one of the things i wanted to comment on in this scene where the doctor's talking to everybody about how they need to treat the silurian alea he's explaining what silurians are to them, and he refers to them as Silurians or Eocenes, as some call them. Well, that's a reference to the fact the third doctor once called them Eocenes. Right. But if you, so he's talking about himself. Yeah. <laughs> we also have these weird dates that come up in this episode. So he initially, we're told the minerals that cause the grass to turn blue are like from 20 million years ago. And Alea is told by the doctor that she's 300 million years out of date. And we're told that the reason the Silurians went underground in the first place was because the moon was coming into orbit, which was, which is not really how we got the moon, mm-hmm. but it happened much earlier than any of these dates. I mean, billions of years ago. And the dates are all over the map. And if you look at a timeline of the Earth's geological history, neither the Silurian Age nor the Eocene correspond to any of these dates. So the dating of when the Silurians had control of the planet is just completely jumbled and doesn't make any sense at all. Right. Having said that, there is actually a theory 
called the Silurian Hypothesis in the real world that speculates about, well, just how much of a civilization hundreds of million years ago would be left for us to find, and it would be basically nothing. And so the Silurian Hypothesis holds that even though we don't have evidence for it, there could have been a previous technological civilization on Earth that then got, you know, that died and got plowed under, and now there's basically no evidence to find for it. And the Silurian hypothesis is named after the Silurians from Doctor Who. Interesting, but the but the word Silurian is refers to a geologic period right. four hundred and forty million years ago or so, right? Based on a particular geological stratum in uh, I want to say in Wales, but over in the United Kingdom, and then it got transferred to the name of the age when that stratum got laid down. So. And then it became the Doctor Who race, and now it's, in the Silurian hypothesis, any race that used to be on Earth that we no longer have evidence for. Okay. Yeah, it was in South Wales, which is probably why both of these Silurian, like the original third Doctor Silurian episode and this one are set in Wales. Mm -hmm. But they've always had trouble dating the Silurians and giving dates that don't correspond to the Silurian (laughs) age. How hard would it be to go to Wikipedia and look it up? Well, in the 1960s, a little hard. Well, yeah. in 2010, at least, they could get it a little yeah. right. Uh, that's okay. Well, but it's it's the typical, you know, probably laziness on the part of the writers of we've got the story, but now when did it actually, all this stuff actually happen? Oh, Just, 300 million years ago or so. You know, that sounds long <laughs> enough, right? Right, yeah. right. Also, in this scene, the doctor does start speechifying and gives them this uh, ostensibly moving speech about they have to be the best humans they can be. And so you know that's going to fail. Yes. Just anytime you make an appeal that strong, we've got to test that dramatically. So it's Mm going to fail. He does go on a bit about being the last of the species. Yeah, that's that sort of thing. So and then the, the. she says, I'm willing to die for my cause, and what will you sacrifice for yours? And she she really wants to have them kill her so that she becomes yeah, right. a martyr that starts a war. So there's a yep. there's a real death wish on her part. I do like that part, though, where she's, she's Alea is saying, oh, I'm the last one, I'm the last one, last one. And, and the doctor says, no, you're not. I know what it's like to be the last one. You're not the last one. You don't have the look in your eyes or exactly. you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So the doctor, his plan is he's going to go underneath the earth to the Silurians to negotiate an exchange of hostages. Nazreen wants to go with him in the TARDIS. uh, And this is where she really starts to shine. I mean, she's been great already, but now she's just on fire as a character. She's like, I just love Nazreen in all of this. She is great. She's moving into companion mode. And yes. if if they didn't make the same choices they did at the end of the second part of this, I could see her sailing off with the doctor. I mean, this is yep. just this the she would be awesome. Yeah, she uh, she says uh, you. I've spent my life trying to excavate the layers of this planet, and now you want me to just stand by while you head down into it? I don't think so. And then yeah. he, he tries to like it'll be dangerous. She says so's crossing the road. <laughs> like he just, she's not to be deterred. Uh, he's oh for goodness sake, just come on. And so they uh, they go in there, and then the TARDIS starts shaking before he can activate anything, and it's uh, it's the Solarians pulling the TARDIS down under the Earth before he instead of tra- uh, the TARDIS transporting with and, the programmable uh, Earth. Yes. So and meanwhile, Alea tells the others that one of them is going to kill her, 
and it will ignite a war, and she knows exactly who who it is, uh, who who will do the killing. Um, and so we are kind of left to is it? It's not Rory, so is it going to be uh, Tony or is it going to be Ambrose? So that we're kind of mm-hmm. left wondering. Um, and Tony, meanwhile, is hiding the fact that the poison is spreading through his body. We, we he has the yeah, smoke. Yeah, he, he this was it. something we we kind of breezed by. So when she hit him with the tongue, she injected him with venom, and they actually cover why they can take off her mask and get close to her because the doctor says it takes at least 24 hours for the venom sac to recharge. Right. Right. So she hasn't built up enough toxin to hit anybody yet, but he's been progressively feeling bad and favoring his, the side of his neck that got hit. And when he opens his shirt to take a look, we see he's got big, scary green veins now. Right. And then we have, uh, we're back to Amy again. She's now in a restraint in a lab. uh, And Mo is there next to her who reveals that he was dissected while conscious, Ooh. and she's next. But <laughs> yeah, he got that better. That doesn't sound painful or nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, better. <laughs> so the, uh, the, and the doctor, meanwhile, uh, with he and Azreen are underground, he, and he's speculating, it must be just a small tribe of Solarians as they turn a corner and discover a giant civilization underground. Uh, and that's where the, uh, the episode ends on our cliffhanger for next time. Any... Any notes or comments uh, left on this episode, Father Father Corey? Not, nothing for this episode. Uh, Jimmy? Nope. So before we uh, sign off and prepare for our next time, I do have some listener feedback we'd like to share. Oh. On our episode 186, where we talked about Earthshock and the Fifth Doctor, mm. Jason Thayer wrote on YouTube, uh, he said, uh, Terrence Dix hated the Cybermen, and he was, he was script editor during Pertwee's era, and that's why... We never saw the Cybermen in the Third Doctor's time. That was which makes that makes sense. <laughs> yes, and then Ted Coville on Facebook writes: After recently watching the Tenth Planet, I tried to imagine this iteration of the Cybermen speaking in the same tones as the original version <laughs> of the Cybermen. Was was I the only one? Um, I don't think so, Ted. <laughs> it's it would be it was very uh, almost incomprehensible with the the original Tenth Planet Cybermen. Uh, he Actually, did, I he, like I like their tones because you heard. I mean, you'll recall they had that weird sing songy voice. Yeah, where they open their mouth, which you could see the jaw move, but then they would just hold their mouth open, and you would hear, "I do not know why we would want emotions, <laughs> Doctor." And it, and the lips are not moving, but the mouth is yep. open, and it's like, "Ooh, right. that is so creepy." That was yeah, yeah that was effectively creepy. Yeah. Uh, and then Ted uh, says, I did appreciate Jimmy's fashion review of Tegan uh, and uh, oh. love the show. Keep up the good work. <laughs> I think he's referring to the fact I pointed out that she gets out of her air hostess outfit and gets into a Ripley, so yes. like Ripley coveralls from Alien. Exactly. So that, I, although it's interesting, I haven't seen any feedback yet from anyone commenting on the whole Adric situation and our reaction to it, but uh, there was some anticipation of what we would say about it, but no one has uh, told us what they think of our reaction. So uh, there's still time to, to, to send us feedback on that. All right. So uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Dr. Who, including Rachel H, Melanie S, Sean S, Luis M and Richard S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Dr. Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What do you think of The Hungry Earth? 
Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when, of course, we'll be discussing the next part of this two-parter, Cold Blood. Until then, Father Corey Sika, thank you for joining me in sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, don't diss the Sonic. Right. This is going to be fun.